The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Last week we started a series on the season of Advent. Uh, We said that Advent is just a season of expectation. It's just a time where we together as the church unify in our focus on the coming Christ. The word Advent literally just translates as coming. It's a time where we focus on our hope in the coming of Christ and we worship Him for it. We talked about the problem, and the problem was sin, right? We talked last week and said that the problem is sin. The problem uh, with, with the world today is not some ideological difference or anything else, it's, it's sin. Sin is the problem. It's brought decay and death to the world, death to our families, death to our churches, death to our governments, death to our world. Sin is the problem. It's brought death. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? If sin is the problem, isn't the solution to just stop sinning? Right? If, if sin is the problem, would it make sense that, that, that the, the solution is just to stop? Maybe if we just follow God's law better, that'll fix everything. That's, that's where our minds go sometimes, right? That's where our thinking sometimes follows is that, man, if, I, if we could just get our world to not sin so much, things wouldn't be so bad, right? And, and we may not actually come out and say it that way, but, but sometimes it's, it's evident in some of the other things that we say and do, right? We have this thought process that uh, if we legalize morality in our nation, man, that would just that would fix our nation, right? It would restore us back to the Christian nation that we once were, right? We got news for you. Our nation was never a Christian nation. We've always been a pagan nation. Now, we may have people that believed in the idea of God and wanted to, you know, somehow honor him and but 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 the idea that it was truly Christian is just not that's not a reality. Um and, and so we get wrapped up in in that sometimes. Man, if we could just if we could just make things uh, illegal, if we could, you know, if gay marriage wasn't a thing anymore, or if abortion wasn't a thing anymore, that would, that would fix our nation. We'd be right again. Let me tell you this morning, that's, that's just not true, right? We, we see that in the pages of Scripture. Our, our mindset is that if we could just vote in leaders who will outlaw sin, it would fix our nation and even our world. That, that, that's where we go to sometimes, but that's, that's not true. If we could somehow force people to just have no other gods before Yahweh, if we could force people to not make idols, or if we could force them to not take the Lord's name in vain, or if we could force them to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, or force them to honor their father and mother, or force them not to murder, or force them not to commit adultery, or force them not to steal or bear false witness against their neighbor, or to not covet. Wouldn't, wouldn't that just solve everything? If the problem is sin, the answer has to be to just stop sinning, right? To will our way into righteousness. But there's a problem with that mindset. There's a problem with that mindset, and, and this is it. We're told throughout Scripture that we cannot be righteous in our own efforts. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is no one righteous. Not even one. In case you didn't catch it with the first phrase, there's no one righteous, he clarifies, not even one. Not even one person. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. If you needed some encouragement this morning, you came to the right place. 
Paul says not even one person does good. No one is righteous. And so let that sink in for a second. You're not a good person. You're not a good person. You want to think that you're a good person. I like to, I'm a good good person. No, you're not. You're not a good person. The Bible clearly says that you are not good. We like to justify things by saying, well, well, no one's perfect. Right? Well, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And you're right, no one is perfect, but sin is something, it's not something that we should trivialize. The wages of sin is death. Sin brings death and destruction. So if the problem is sin, and now we know we can't stop sinning, then what do we do about it? How do we overcome the death and decay that sin has wrought on this world? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us an answer to that question. Hebrews 10, verse 1 is, is our text this morning, and we'll read together, it says, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. After he says above, You do not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, See, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So here we get a contrast, right? The contrast contrast is between the law and Jesus Christ. And we're going to take a look at two truths about each of those this morning. Two truths about the law and two truths about Christ. And so the first truth we're going to look at is that the law was incomplete. The law was incomplete. Look at verse 1, the first part of verse 1. He says, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things. Our, uh, Our oldest turns 13 today. And if I'm honest, I'm struggling with that a little bit. Because if he's 13, how old does that make me, right? And even worse, how old does that make my parents? They've been ragging me all morning about that, and they forget that I have a microphone. Um, he turns 13 today, and so he, last night uh, we were spending a little bit of time kind of going back and looking at old pictures. You ever done that of your kids? You know, you go back and you look at some of the pictures when they were babies, and and, and it brought this thought into my mind. You, when someone else has a baby, and before you have kids, like babies are awesome. I've always thought babies were awesome, right? They're, they're, they're squishy and soft, and especially the fat ones are the best. Um, they usually smell good as long as they haven't done something, but uh, usually they smell good, and, and babies are awesome, right? And, and I've always thought babies were awesome even before I had kids, but, but there's, there's nothing like holding your own child. Right, that, that day, and those of you who are parents, you can kind of relate. The day that you had your first kid and you held your baby. It's a whole other story, right? 
It goes beyond just the cute little cuddly to, man, this, this is unbelievable, right? And, and, and holding someone else's baby isn't the reality of parenthood itself. It's just a shadow. It's just a, it's a little picture of what that may actually look like. The language the writer uses here is, is, is a stark contrast. So the word for shadow paints a picture of a dim, kind of a blurred line shadow, not clear def- defined shadow, but, but this blurred line shadow, barely seen and not at all detailed. And then when he says the word for reality itself, it's it's this idea. Uh, it paints a picture of a vibrant, super crisp, clear uh, image of something. So the point here is that the law was never God's final plan. It was never intended to be the way to righteousness. Look what Paul says when he tell, when he writes his letter to the Galatians in chapter three, verse nineteen. He says, "Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions, until the seed, capital S." to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power, so the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul says the whole point of the law was to reveal our need for a Savior. That was the whole point. Romans 7, 7, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. The law was never supposed to be something we look at and think, oh yeah, I got that. It was never supposed to be something that you turn into its pages and you look at it and think, I can do that. I can be that. I'm a list guy. I don't know. How many of you guys are like type A a little bit? You like lists. You like following lists. You'll make lists up just so that you can complete the list. Anybody like that? So I'm like, that. I'll add things to the list just so I can be like, done. Right? Because it feels good to check that little box. It feels great. Right? That's not what the law is about. Right? It's not supposed to be something we try and work through like a checklist. It's, it's not like, okay, no other gods but Yahweh. Well, okay, I don't go to an Islamic church. Check. Right? No idols. Well, I don't have any Buddha statues in my house. Check. Right? Don't murder. I haven't killed anybody. Check. And don't steal. Haven't robbed a bank. Check. Right? It's not, that's not the intent of the law. The law was supposed to bring us to our knees in realization that we are incapable of checking it off. The law is incomplete because it was never God's plan to save his people. It wasn't like God had a plan A. Well, let's try this law thing. Okay. Well, that didn't work. So now let's go to plan B and we'll bring Jesus in. No, that, that's not how it worked. Right? Jesus was always plan A. The promised Messiah is all over the pages of the Old Testament, even before the law was established. The law just revealed the nature of man. It's the mirror we look in to see how broken we are. Some of you guys may relate in in marriage. Like Becca will look into a mirror and she'll be like, oh my gosh, I got to lose weight, right? She'll be like, oh, we got to start a diet. I look into the mirror and I'm like, 
I look pretty good. Right? I think that's probably a common thing with like women. Like I'll look and be like, man, that's not bad. That's not bad. I've seen worse, right? And humans are just prideful enough to look into the mirror of the law and think, oh yeah, I'm all of those things. Right? We're just prideful enough to look into the pages of, of the Old Testament and think, got it. Check. And we see that in the life of the Pharisees, right? They're always pointing the finger. All through the Gospels, we see the Pharisees pointing the finger and they looked at the law and actually thought they were righteous. They looked into the pages of the law and thought, I'm that. I've accomplished that. I'm, I'm awesome. And then this woman gets caught in adultery. And they use this poor woman as a pawn to further their agenda to trip up Jesus, right? They throw her down before Jesus. And what does he say? Whoever doesn't have any sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. All of a sudden, there's this reminder that, man, we're we're not perfect. We don't. We're not without sin. We can be like that too. We we can look into the mirror of the law and think we're good. We think, you know, I'm a good person. I've never murdered anybody. Compared to so and so that I know, man, I'm way better than that person. Everybody likes to think of themselves as good. Why? Because we're, we're never willing to do the deep work to really analyze our hearts. Right, we can look at the letter of the law and think, I've not killed anybody. I've not, not committed adultery. I've not stolen anything from the store. But we don't want to do the hard work to really analyze our hearts. We just want to judge our behaviors, and yet God judges even our intentions. Jesus talked about this, Matthew 5, 21. He clarifies some things about the law. He says, you've heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Then he goes on a little bit later. He says, you've heard it said that don't commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, the law was never supposed to be about checking off the list. It was never supposed to look at the letter of the law and think, bam, 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 I'm good. Instead, it's about revealing the true nature of your heart. It's about revealing the fact that you are a sinner incapable of earning your way and and, and earning any kind of righteousness on your own. That's why Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not capable of being a good person. You're not capable of not sinning. The law should never make us feel righteous. We should never look in its pages and think, check, done it. The purpose of the law is to bring us to our knees in humility and create in us an awareness of our need for a Savior. That was the purpose of the law all along. To bring us to our knees in a realization that we are broken in our hearts and we can't fix it. Following the letter of the law doesn't save us. It reveals to us that we can't save ourselves through changed behaviors. We need something greater. We need a Savior. 
the law was a reminder of the insurmountable problem of sin and served the purpose of instilling in us a hope for the good that was to come in the promised Messiah. Not only is the law incomplete, but point two is this, the law was insufficient. Look what he says in the second part of verse 1 down to verse 4. He says, It can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, when they have stopped being offered, since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The other day, Piper said that she wanted to take our family out to dinner. Yeah, but don't all. She just didn't want to eat home cooking. She wanted to go to a restaurant, and she's like, I'll, I'll cover everybody, right? And she's like, uh, I was like, well, how much money do you have? She's like, I got $11. Eleven dollars. I was like, baby, you, you're not even getting hot and ready for eleven dollars. <laughs> not enough to feed this family. I said, sorry, baby, you, you, you don't have enough. It's not sufficient, right? You, you don't have enough money. The bank told me the same thing when I tried to swipe my debit card. It's just not happening, right? The writer here says that the law can never perfect worshipers. It's insufficient to do so. And he uses logic to prove his point. He says. If that were the case, the sacrifices would end. right? If the, if the law was sufficient, then when you slaughtered your goat and the blood was spilled, then you'd be done. Sin would be atoned for and we'd be through. But that's not how it works. In Old Testament times, there was this day of atonement. Once a year, everybody in the nation of Israel would come and bring their animal to slaughter, their lambs would be slaughtered. And, and it's estimated that over 300,000 lambs would be slaughtered in a week. Can you imagine that? Like, put, put yourself in a mental picture. I know some of us don't like gore and stuff like that, but just let yourself think about what that looks like. 300,000 goats and lambs in a week. So much bloodshed that blood would run out of a, spe- a specially prepared, the specially prepared channels into the brook Kadron which, which looked to be flowing with, blo- with blood. It was this, this brook that looked like it was just flowing with blood. There were so many animals that were slaughtered. Can you imagine what that looked like every year? Year after year, death and more death. The sight of death, the stench of death. Think about how weighty that would have been. How burdensome that would have been. And look what the writer here says. In the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. He says that the sacrifices themselves were a reminder of the insufficiency of the sacrifice. Every time that the nation of Israel would come with their animal to slay their animal, it was this reminder that this wasn't going to cover me long term that this is insufficient to deal with the sin that is in my heart. Every sacrifice was just a reminder that the previous blood shed wasn't sufficient to atone for their sins, and this sacrifice would be the same. And yet, blood must be shed. Hebrews 9.22, just a chapter before this, says, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And look at this, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God is just 
and sin must be judged righteously. That's the predicament, right? God is just. He's, he's a good and solid judge who will judge righteously. He's just. And so sin must be atoned for. The problem has always been sin, and the law reminds us of our condition, and it also reminds us that there's no hope in our own efforts. It doesn't matter how many animals are slain. It doesn't matter how many boxes are checked. It doesn't solve the problem of sin. No amount of behavior modification or animal bloodshed could remedy the problem of sin, and that is the point. That's the point. That's the point that God wanted to make in it all. The writer says it clearly, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The law is insufficient to take away your sins. Romans 3.20 For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So listen, trying to be a good person, it's a waste of time. Going to church, it's insufficient. It's not enough. Reading your Bible, knowing everything about it, it's pages. I mean, having complete knowledge of Scripture, it's not enough. It's not enough. Even sacrificing your wants and desires in and of itself, not enough. And that's the point of the law. That's the point. When we look into it, it should bring us to that exact conclusion that we're not good enough and we can't fix it. Our best is like filthy rags against God's holy and perfect standard. That's the point of it. That's why it's incomplete. That's why it's insufficient. It was supposed to be. It was supposed to remind you that you need a Savior. You can't fix it yourself. You're not good in your own strength. No amount of animal sacrifice will fix the problem. It won't take away sin. So, if the law is incomplete and it's insufficient, what hope do we have? Is, is there no hope at all? Well, that leads us to our two truths about Jesus. First truth about Jesus is Jesus is complete. Look at verse 5. Therefore, as He was coming into the world, He said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. After he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. So I have an agreement with our older two boys. They like to play video games. I don't really like for them to play video games, and so they have to earn it, right? And so I get free child labor by just letting them play a video game. It works out. I, we don't do have to do uh, money or whatever, whatever it's called, I forget, uh, but where you pay your kids to do chores, uh, an allowance, thank you. Uh, we don't do that, but we uh, allow them to play video games. And so we have this agreement uh, that they mow the grass. And man, like when you reach that level, you have made it as a parent. Dads, we, if you have a team, put that boy in the yard and make him mow. It's the best thing ever, all right? So one mows the front, one mows the back, all right? They get an hour and a half of game time each for mowing, all right? That's the agreement. And, and so early on, they would work and do a really good job, uh, and, and they would earn their hour and a half. As time has kind of shifted, they got a little bit lazy, and they go out there and try to breeze through it real quick, 
and think that they're going to, they'll come in and be like, all right, hook me up, hour and a half, I did it. I'm like, no. No, I can, there's like runs everywhere. You obviously didn't try to like even remotely do a good job. You can either go back out there and do it again, or you're not getting any time at all, right? That's, that's, that's kind of how it works, right? And so technically they mowed, but they didn't put their heart into it. And obvious, uh, it's, it's obvious that they did as little as they possibly could and went as fast as they possibly could so they can get back inside and look at a screen. There's a lot going on in this passage, all right? First, it's important that we note that the writer here is quoting Psalm 46-8, and he's given us kind of his, his interpretation of that, of that text, okay? And, and in, in that Psalm, uh, in 40, verse 6-8, we see this conversation with Jesus and God the Father, right? So this is, this is him interpreting this, this conversation. He says that Jesus, as he was coming into the world, said to the Father, you do not desire sacrifice and offering. But wait a second, wasn't it God who established the law? Wasn't it him who, who asked people to do these sacrifices and offer them? Yes, but, but what happened is people took something that was intended to develop a sense of dependency and faith and they distorted it into a means to an end. You get that? So Israel took something that God had given them that was supposed to bring them to their knees in faith and dependence on God, and what did they do? They looked at it and said, I can do this. I can check this box and be awesome. And it became a means to an end. It became a way for Israel to say, look, God, I slaughtered my, my lamb. Now bless me. Right? Look, 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 God, I did what you said. I checked all these boxes. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done all these things. So bless me. Give me what I'm owed, God. And they could care less about God the rest of the year. And does that not sound familiar? Does that not sound familiar? This isn't faith. This isn't lordship. This, this is viewing God as a means to an end. This is, this is the same thing as God. I've been going to church. Now fix my marriage. Right? I've been going to church, so, so fix my kids. I've been going to church, so, so bless my finances. I've been going to church, so give me all the things that I want. But when we go out through the rest of our life, we have no desire to honor God. God has just become a means to an end for us. That's exactly what happened with Israel. That's exactly what happened with Israel in their relation to the law. God isn't a means to an end. He, he's, he's more than just a Savior. He's also Lord. The gospel isn't just the way to get to heaven, it's the way to get a king. Look what, the, look what God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 1.11. He says, what are all your sacrifices to me? I, I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. When you come to appear before me, who, who, who requires this from you? This trampling of my courts? Look what he says. Stop bringing useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of solemn assemblies. I can't stand iniquity with a festival. I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. They have become a burden to me. I'm tired of putting up with them. When you spread out your hands in prayer... I will refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. What does he say? Israel, you've been coming to me with these empty, 
acts of what you call worship is detestable to me. I want nothing to do with it. And listen to me, look. The American church, is this is us. This is us. We think that coming to church and reading our Bibles and wearing the Christian t-shirt and listening to Christian music on the radio, like, like that, that's, that's what brings honor to God. Bringing honor to God is about giving your life to Him, about Him becoming the King of your heart, about surrendering all things in your life to Him. Every aspect of your life, if it's not laid down before God in a complete devotion and adoration and a love for Him, then it's not worship. It's emptiness. And God detests it. God's people had forgotten the heart behind the sacrifices. They, they forgot what the point was. They were checking off all the boxes, but they had no desire to honor God with their life. They weren't living with a heart of faith in God and a dependency on God. They were sacrificing and following the letter of the law just to appease God, not to worship Him. We see that today. People will tip their hat to the man upstairs. They'll, they'll apologize when they cuss in front of the preacher. They even come to church on Sunday, but there's no heart of worship. There's no true surrender to Jesus. They still love their sin. They still love their pride. They still love living their lives the way they want to live it. And in all practicality, they don't even recognize sin as the problem. I mean, they probably would never say that, but it's evident by the way that they live their life. They put zero effort into abstaining from sin. God says, I, I, I don't have any delight in your sacrifices. God has zero delight in your empty devotion. Listen to what he does take delight in. Psalm 51, 17, this sacrifice, uh, the, the sacrifice that is pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. That's what God's looking for. Humility. For you to come before him and recognize, man, I, I, I don't have it. When I look into the pages of the law, I'm, I can't do it. Can't do it. I'm broken. I'm, I'm full of sin. I, I, I have no ability to pursue righteousness in my own strength. I need a savior. I, and, and that's that's the point here. In the, in the next, in the text after Jesus tells the Father, "You don't desire sacrifice and offering," He says, "See, it's written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will." He says, "Look." You don't, you don't like this empty worship, but look, I, I've come to do your will. Look at the contrast here. What the law couldn't do, Jesus did. He, he was the fulfillment. Matthew 5, 17. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus was the, was the completion of what was incomplete in the law. Where the law could only show us our condition Jesus was able to come and remedy us from our condition. Look at what the text says. It says, after he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. The, the writer here is pointing out that the sacrifices and offerings were offered up according to what God had set forth. It was God's law. He prescribed it. People just missed the purpose of it all. 
where the law was meant to bring on a burdensome reality of sin, Christ came to bring freedom from that sin. He says all the incomplete aspects of the law are complete in Christ. The first covenant is gone so that the second can be established. When we look into the law and see our unrighteousness, it leads us to acknowledge our need for salvation and Jesus brings that salvation. He trades our unrighteousness for His righteousness. Which leads us to the last point here. Jesus is sufficient. Look at verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So what's the point here? Jesus' blood was enough. That's the point. Jesus' blood was enough. It was sufficient. What the law couldn't do, Jesus does. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Let that sink in for a second, right? We just talked about all this really horrible negative news about sin, right? We kind of spent two weeks on it, a week and a half. And now we're getting to the good part, right? There is no condemnation for sin. When you look into the pages of, of the Old Testament and realize in the law, man, I can't do that, right? I need a Savior. There is a Savior. Jesus came so that when God looks at you, there is no condemnation. That's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable reality. Look what he says. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul says, there's now no condemnation for those who have surrendered in faith to Jesus. For those of us who have come to the reality that, man, we don't have it. We can't live in righteousness in our own. And we look into the pages of, of, of the law and in the mirror of the law and recognize, man, I am broken and I need a Savior. And we submit to God with humility and faith. There's no condemnation for you. There's no condemnation for you. We, we don't have to slaughter animals to atone for our sin anymore. We don't have to labor towards righteousness. Why? Because the new law, the new covenant that's found in Christ has freed us from the old law or the old covenant. He did the work for us. He did the work for us. The old law screamed of our sin and brokenness and the new law screams of Christ's sufficiency to free us from that bondage. Paul says what God did that God did what the law couldn't do. He defeated sin and fulfilled the blood requirement of the law. So now we don't have to walk according to our flesh, but now we can walk in the power of the Spirit. Because of the perfect sacrifice of Christ, we can be clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness. That's something that was impossible under the law. Right? Under the law, you look into its pages and you realize, I'm unrighteous. I can't do anything about it. Right? But under the law of grace, under Christ. Now we look into the pages of the law, into the mirror of the law, and we think, Jesus did it. He did what I couldn't do. Now He offers me that righteousness. He offers this crazy trade where He says, look, give me your unrighteousness, and I'll give you 
my righteousness and he imputes on us his righteousness. So when the Father looks down, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ and he declares that you are righteous. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus came to do. John 17, verse 15, he says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. should well up a little bit of excitement in you. It should stir your affections for Christ a little bit. When you look at that reality, that that's crazy. That's better news than the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl. Right? And if the Cowboys won the Super Bowl, I mean, some of you hate the Cowboys, but a lot of you would Lose your minds. Have we grown cold to this truth? Have we grown cold to this gospel? Does it not stir something inside of us that we can't contain it? Sometimes I'll sit in my office and read stuff like that and like freak out a little bit. We couldn't perfect ourselves. The law proved that. But through the power of Christ, we can be changed forever. Jesus, look what he says. He says, I sanctify myself. He was the only person that could do that. You can't sanctify yourself, right? You can't can't do it. That's the point. God Himself incarnate, dwelling among men in the flesh. He overcame sin by living a guiltless life. He bore the punishment of sin on that cross and through His life, death, and resurrection, we can also be sanctified by this truth. Sin's the problem, right? Sin brings death and destruction. Jesus came to free you from that. He made a way where there was no way. This is the gospel. We we talk a lot about sin here. God God is every bit as just as He is loving. Is is the righteous judge, He must punish sin. And as much as we don't like to hear that, right? People don't like to talk about sin. People don't want to hear about sin. It's all over the page of Scripture. But it only makes the gospel that much sweeter. Right? When you get this understanding of what this is all about, right? Like, you can't be righteous in your own, right? And that kind of can cause the sense of hopelessness, right? But, but then the reality of the gospel that Jesus did it for you. That's the good news. And that, the reality of sin and God's justice makes His grace and mercy even more sweet. Right? The fact that if He loved you enough to make a way that even in your rebellion, even in your sin, Christ died for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. Yes, sin is the problem. No, you can't fix it yourself. But God, through His rich mercy, made a way where there really seemed to be no way. It's like the old hymn says, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. 
would you over evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. What an amazing truth. There's power in the blood of Jesus. He is sufficient to save people from the death and decay of sin. Jesus said himself, Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. For what? For the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood was sufficient where the law was insufficient. He made a way where there seemed to be no way. And this is what Advent is all about. This is what Advent is all about. It's, it's, it's a celebration. It's recognizing that Jesus Christ is the answer. Yeah, the problem is sin. We know that. We see it. We see its effects in our world. But the remedy, the remedy has a name and it's Jesus Christ. And we can surrender to Him in faith, recognizing that we can't we can't do it in our own strength. There is no righteousness in us. We are not good people. But Jesus was righteous. He was good. He is righteous. He is good. And because of Him, we can put our faith and hope in Him as the remedy for our situation, our problem. And He promises to trade His righteousness for our unrighteousness and to save us from our sin, and to sanctify us in truth. That's the gospel. Where we failed, He was victorious. The law was there to push people towards a realization that they couldn't do it on their own. Jesus was the solution to that problem. He did it so we didn't have to. And our response to that reality should never, ever be self-righteousness or pride. Our response to the, to the gospel should never be, man, I've got it all figured out now. I've got this new understanding. I'm, I'm so smart. I'm so awesome. Like that should never be our response to the gospel. Our response to the gospel is, man, I don't have it figured out and I need a savior and Jesus saved me. Thank you, Jesus, that you did it, right? That's, that's where the gospel leads us. Not in, to, to a sense of pride, but down to our knees and humility, thanking God on a daily basis for what he's done for us. We should never find ourselves just going through the motions. The gospel leads us towards repentance. It leads us towards faith and a surrender and never towards apathy and pride. So the takeaway is this. Maybe you've never truly given your life to Christ. Maybe for you, it was your faith in Christianity to you. Maybe it's just been this list of checkboxes, right? Like, Maybe in your mind, it's like, man, I've been a Christian my whole life. Like, I grew up in church. Like, I'm a good person. I go to church all the time. And I don't steal. I don't lie. I don't murder. I don't, I don't do any of the things that we see that are so bad in the law. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good person. That's not going to save you. That's not going to save you. Scripture is clear. You cannot Earn righteousness yourself. You can't do it. It doesn't matter what your background was. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter if you're a good person. It doesn't matter if, if you come to church and read your Bible and do all the things that, that we're told we're supposed to do. It doesn't matter if you don't first surrender in faith to Jesus and recognize that you, you can't be righteous. In, in, in mourning that, in, in repenting of that, 
and asking Christ to come in and, and change your heart and to do what you know you can't do in your own. And so if that's you this morning, if you've, if you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ, we would absolutely love to have a conversation with you about that. That's why we're here. That's what, that's what this is all about. It's about advancing God's kingdom. It's about living on mission for Him. It's about telling people about this good news. And so if that's you, we have some people here in a moment. The band's going to come up and sing. We'll have people standing on the sides. They'll have lanyards on identifying who they are. They would love an opportunity to talk to you about what it means to truly give your life to Christ. And so if that's you, if you've maybe you've been playing this religious game and you've never truly given your heart to Christ, we would love to have a conversation with you about that. And the takeaway for you this morning, if, if you are a Christian, if you know beyond all shadow of doubt that you've done that, you've given your life to Christ, you've recognized, man, I don't have righteousness of my own and my only hope is in Christ, and you put your faith and hope in Him, my, my challenge to you this morning is in this season of, of immense busyness, right? Like, let's be honest about what we've, what we've kind of transitioned Christmas about in, 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 into, right? We, we've, we've stretched ourselves thin Right, we 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 put ourselves in a position where there's very little time to really focus on what this is all about. Let's let's not be like the nation of Israel, where where we had this empty worship, where we just go check all these Christmas boxes and okay, I went to Christmas service and I went to the Christmas program and you know let's let's not make it about that, right? Let's let's make it about a sincere time of worship, a sincere time where we we focus in on the reality of what the gospel is. And allow it to do what it's supposed to do. Right? Allow it to, to create a joy in us for our salvation. Would you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Father God, we thank you for this unbelievable gospel. For the truth that in while we were still sinners, even though we couldn't accomplish righteousness in our own efforts and in our own strength, and even though many of us have taken the law and, and abused it and, and tried to do things with it that were never meant to be done. That you offer grace. You offer love that you did what the law couldn't do. God, we're, we're thankful for that. And God, I, I pray that you would, you would stir up something inside of us to not hear this gospel and, and not be moved by it, but to be to hear it and, and to be filled with a, a sense of joy and love for you. And I pray that that would be the fruit of the gospel in our lives. That we wouldn't be content with playing church and trying to be perceived as righteous on Sunday mornings that we would be honest about who we are and what we've done and, and that we would be honest about our insufficiencies and that when we look in the pages of the law, we would 
we would see the reality of, of our sinful condition and our inability to do anything about it. And that would lead us to this unbelievable joy knowing that Jesus came and did what we couldn't do. He made, made a way where there was no way. I pray that that would stir some affections in us this morning for you. Pray that your word would lead us down to our knees in humility and worship, just thanking you with sincere hearts of gratitude. And our lives would reflect that gratitude. Our faith wouldn't be about what happens on Sundays as much as it would be about what happens every other moment of our life. God, I pray that we would recognize that we don't just need a Savior. We need, we need a Lord. We need a King. We recognize that You are the only one that's worthy to be that in our lives. God, I pray that You'd be glorified in our time of invitation here, that You'd be glorified in our worship. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.